Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 38th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the massively successful Cuban-American singer-songwriter, actress and businesswoman Gloria Estefan. This took place when she came to London to promote a Greatest Hits album and was planning to release her first Spanish-language album, Meteora. It was late 1992, just after a major hurricane had hit her native Florida, and two years after she was critically injured in a tour bus crash. At the start of the interview, Gloria was joined by her husband and manager, Emilio Estefan, with whom she'd started out in the popular Latin American band, the Miami Sound Machine. So naturally, I began by asking about their special relationship. You've been together a, a very long time, which in showbiz terms is a heck of a long time, isn't it? Yeah. Quite amazing. 16 years. What, two together and 14 married. What do you think is the, uh, the key to this, to the success of your relationship? I think the key is definitely how to get married, being in love, I mean, from the beginning. And I think then you'll develop a... If you have that base, I think definitely you get the... It gets better and better. Do you think, essentially, you're, you're great friends? Is that the, the key to it all? We're very good friends. We we respect each other. I admire him very much, and I trust him completely. He knows everything about me. I know everything about him. There's no secrets, and there's uh, definitely a lot of communication. We've worked very hard on that aspect of it. Mm. And what about being Gloria's manager as well? Is that a, is that a good thing, do you think, to be part of the career as well. I think in her case, yeah, I, I want to tell you why, because we did it from the beginning, many years ago. So it's different, you know, she be, she's very successful now, and I just, just jump into her career. So that makes a big difference. I think when you start with, a, with an artist all the way f- from scratch, you know exactly how she likes things. And I think that's a, because we have a great communication, and, uh, and realistically, the final thing, it comes from her. I can propose anything she wants. It's like a lot of offers sometimes to even to make commercials for $7 million, and she say, I don't want to do it, and, and that's it. That's the end of the, of the question. Do you ever mind the fact that Gloria is more famous than you are? I, 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 I don't mind that. I think it's great, and uh, she's the, the artist, and, and Jose Mani, our producer. <laughs> do you ever get sort of fed up with being with each other all the time, or, or do you take time out from each other just to make sure you don't get overcrowded? We really don't spend 24 hours a day as people would imagine. He gets up in the morning and he goes to the office. Uh, I try to avoid going there as much as possible because it means I have to work if I go. So <laughs> I try to stay home and during the day he does a lot of things and we're not together. When we're on tour, uh, we work out together and things, but then afterwards when I, when I let's say I'm going to the show, uh, from the moment I get there in sound check, he's popping in and out, but he's really doing his thing, and I really don't see him until after the whole show is over, because he's in the in the vocal, uh, in the production outside, checking the lights, checking everything, and uh, there's many trips that we take apart, especially now that he's got John Cicada also, and sometimes he's got to be with John, and I'm doing the UN thing, so I'm during the week I'm at, in New York, so we do spend time apart. To what extent do you depend on each other? In my case, a lot. I depend on him totally. He does, uh, he spoils me rotten, actually, (laughs) put it bluntly. (laughs) He does spoil me, he takes good care of me. I love to spend time together, definitely it's it's the moment that we enjoy. We've been 16 years and even when we go apart, like, you know, for example, I've gone to Italy now and to Sweden, I talk to Gloria three and four times a day. So I think we miss each other whenever we split apart, I mean, for a couple of days or things like that. 
you seem to be growing more and more in love with each other then rather than as most married couples seem to do drifting away <laughs> gradually I think so I think you know uh, I was was talking last night I think it's, uh, it's wonderful you know you have a 16 year relationship and you you just I mean you you are more in love than the probably from the beginning yeah, uh, you have many to keep it alive ago. also but I think that what happens is we've been through very rough times together and you grow either you split apart and they destroy you or you become a lot closer and more unified and we've just gotten to know each other more during the, through the years. How much of a unifying factor is your son Naib? I think it, it sometimes even more, you know, when you have a kid, you just bring the marriages closer. And uh, because it's a wonderful thing to have a kid, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. It ties you for life too, no matter what would happen. Mm. He'll always be his father, I'll always be his mother. Mm. So it'll tie you for life. Now, reading the papers this morning, you're hoping for another child. Is that true? Is that the case? Yes, we would, yes. We would like to have one. Mm. Yeah. We haven't started working on it yet. <laughs> Aren't you always working on it? Well, no. You're always working on it, but there's things you can... No, I, was, I was reading the paper today. I said, Gloria's looking for a child, trying really hard. I said, that's not true. <laughs> no, we haven't started. I want to get the UN business over, so I don't want to be morning sickness. You have morning sickness on a plane. You know, sometimes press not to control your sex life. <laughs> they tell you what to do. <laughs> And what sort of things do you do as a family all together? Oh, we go to the movies. Uh, he loves amusement parks, and so do I. So we, we go to a lot of amusement parks, bicycling. especially when we're on tour. We do a lot of bicycling together, you know, mm. skiing. Bicycling, and he roller skates with his dad, because that I, I stay away from now. And uh, just normal normal things, we go out on the boat. He loves to, you know, water ski and uh, hydroslide. And we ride the wet bikes. Him and I take the wet bikes out sometimes for two and three hours, we just go really far, different places, and you know, regular stuff people do. Can you have a regular life? Can you have a normal life? Don't you get spotted and recognized everywhere you go and mobbed? I think this part of the thing, the good thing about, you know, we living in Miami, you know, I think we're very fortunate that, you know, the kind of love we have there is a, is a sort of a family type thing. Yeah, we get a lot of recognition and people just come and kiss Gloria. I mean, oh, that's, but that's very rewarding. I don't mind that. I think that's very, we're very fortunate that we have that. I think the day that you don't have that is the day that, uh, I mean, we work hard for that. I, I think some people, you know, are, uh, they don't like that, and I think that's a mistake. I think people, you know, should take the time to recognize it. Now, you sing a lot of very romantic songs, which a lot of people can identify with. Are you a terribly romantic couple? We're romantic. I think so. I mean, not to the candlelight and that, that kind of thing. No? Right? No, not that kind of thing, but we're very romantic in just our everyday way of being with each other. I think mm. so. And when you're on stage singing these songs, is it Emilio you're thinking of? Actually, I, when you're singing these songs, I'm thinking of so many other things that are happening on stage, technically. But it, the, the, some of the last things you're thinking of, actually, because you can't really... I was talking about this to one of the guys in the band. You, when you're singing a song, you cannot really be feeling these emotions, or else you get a knot in your throat, you know, you, you can't... So technically, it's... Yeah, you can't... I'm quite disappointed to hear that. No, you can... You might think once in a while of an inspiration or something, but usually, you know, I see the fans and you're connecting with them and things like that, but you can't make yourself feel that or else you can't sing because when you're really feeling emotion, you get choked up. Mm -hmm. So that's a very dangerous thing. I feel exhilaration. I feel uh, excitement from the crowd, but you can't personalize these things when you're singing them because mm -hmm. then it'd be impossible to get through. I think you get, get more, more emotion when you're writing, and you, especially when yeah. you're writing this one, then you get The writing or recording of that's, them. That's very, I think when you do it like every single day, probably, you know, 
I think, especially with her, because she got a lot of fans that go to every single concert, so mm. she get a lot of report from them. Yeah, there's a different kind of emotion, but not the one that specifically spawns the song. How do you feel about Gloria's fans, especially the male ones? Do you get jealous? Do you get worried? I don't about? get jealous. I don't no. think jealousy is a big problem, like insecurity. I think that's a. I think the. If you're gonna be jealous, you know, it's a horrible thing, because you know. I think you, if you marry and that your wife is gonna do something behind your back, you're gonna do it with the fan, or you're gonna do it with anybody else. So you know, I don't, I, I don't mind that. Is it tough to share your wife with the world, though, as it were, because you obviously very. I don't mind. I think it's a great thing. Hmm. Only one time I got, I got mad in Colombia. Remember? Oh, because that guy was because of the way he did. We got like you know, <laughs> yeah. we got like five thousand people waiting at the airport, and we was coming out. And it was full security, and this guy. I saw him start reaching for Gloria, and, and I he saw. He was caressing yeah, my hair. Yeah, he was to caressing hair. I just went, wow! <laughs> <laughs> Even security, you know, have to hold me because you know they didn't, and it, you yeah, know. But I, he also said something to you. He said, you know, please back off. And he says, I can touch her if I want to. Well, so this is in a concert. No, this, this is coming in, out of the airport in, in Colombia. Oh, right, yeah. So I got real mad because you know it wasn't a nasty way. But most of the things that Gloria, that the fans of Gloria has, it's not, it never has been in a nasty way or anything. It's been yeah. very. Because I'm not a flirt, <laughs> just on stage. <laughs> But I mean, when you're a very successful, young, attractive singer, I mean, you are often the images of a sort of young, free and single woman, available woman, and yet you're obviously famous, you know, married and... I'll tell you one of. thing, it's surprising, but for men it's different, because I know that female groupies are very, you know, like, aggressive. But men are not aggressive to women that are in that position, because I think men, deep down inside, don't, don't want to even have the chance of being rejected. And men are very low-key right. compared to women groupies. So they don't send you underwear in the post? In fact, women, are gr women groupies of mine are more aggressive than the men even, you know, just mm. in the way that they are towards you and, you know, trying to get to see you and whatever. Mm. Men, they're fine with, you know, uh, seeing you on stage or maybe shaking your hand or giving you a hug. Or I have a fan here that no matter what, I don't know how he finds out, but whenever I'm here, he's there. You know, the most he'll ask, he'll ask you, can I give you a kiss, you know, whatever, or can I give you a hug? The women, on the other hand, to, to male singers, they'll like, they'll grab it. But I think nowadays, it used to be many years ago, it was like a Hollywood type sexy. I think now people are more secure. I think they're going for the real talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a producer, you know, what I see with other people. I mean, you see uh, president women, you see lawyers women, doctors, you know, all this kind of thing. I think <clears throat> people are more... I think that that sort of a you know sexy things sometimes very gimmicky and I don't like that at all. I think you have to go by, by the talent more than mm -hmm. anything else. I think you have, can have a career, you still have, can have a family, and you can. I mean, we sell records as many records that anybody can sell than anything without showing anything or without even being married and having a kid. How much say do you have in Gloria's career? Most of the time, I, you know, I work a lot with her. But you know, the final thing in her career is her. She say, I don't want to do this. That's it. I mean, she she won't do it. I will never push her to do anything that. It, he knows me very well, so he knows what to get to. I'm the last one in the organization that finds out most mm. of the things because he tries to, you know, keep all the BS right down, you know, to a minimum. So he'll he'll know what I trust him completely to make business decisions and say, okay, here's these three offers. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And then I'll decide. But. There's many cases where I'll take his opinion. If I if I feel strongly about something, I'll tell him, look, this is how I feel, and that's the end of it. And sometimes you but say, you know, well, if you feel real strong about it, let's right. do it. And, you know, but then other times I'll say, if so you even with single situations, with the performance and places that I say I think we should do, because I think it would be real good, and you know, turn out. Yeah, it's so a far, take. 
I've been lucky. Yeah. But you know, not only with Gloria, I handled John Secada, which is very successful yeah. right now. I mean, he's everywhere. Millions of albums for the first single. And I, I will handle him exactly the same thing. I just proposed to him and he told me I don't want to do it. That's it. That's the end of the thing. I don't think one of the things that I have such a great relation with, with all my recording companies that I work for is because I'm not a loud manager. Also, you know, I think nowadays it's a lot of, you have to have a lot of communication. Mm. He has a lot of respect in the industry too because they, he's not one of these people that's always demanding ridiculous things. I mean, he's a businessman and they know it and he's successful not only in this but in other business dealings. So they they do see him as, as someone who knows what he's talking about. It's not just the, the husband of, you know, the star or whatever because he's, it's his conception, this whole thing anyway. Mm. When I joined the band, it was his band. He had the band for a year. You know, it's not as if he discovered me and we, I joined an organization that he already had and he's always been like, you know, mm. head of the, of the whole thing. So how do you see the future going? Are you hoping to just carry on and see how it goes from day to day or? I think we take a day at a time. Right now we're coming out with the greatest hit. We're doing an incredible Spanish album that is one of my prop projects because I love what I'm doing. It's a period piece from 1940s and 50s, Havana, Cuba, mm. all acoustically. and uh, So we do, I mean, I'm doing what I enjoy to do. Mm. I don't do it for the money, I don't do it because I'm going to have a hit. I mean, I just do it whatever I think, things I would like now. Mm. Do you think you will always live in that area of the world? In Miami? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I love Miami. Mm. Do you yeah. speak Spanish to each other every yeah. day? Yeah. You do? Which nobody else can understand. <laughs> they, they all do yeah. that now. No, it's mainly he's just more comfortable in Spanish. Right. Yeah. And I really want my son to, to speak both languages, so at home we, we Plus, speak you know, Spanish. Plus, I grew up in Cuba, and then I lived in Spain for many years, so my English, English is my second, definitely second language. Especially with verbs and things, I make you know a lot of mistakes. But, you know, it sounds good. <laughs> well, let's talk about the the problems in Miami because of the hurricane, which are obviously uh, intense problems. How much do they affect you and Emilio and your family? We were very lucky. We live on the beach and we evacuated, but our house really was minimal damage. You know, tiles and some trees, but we really had nothing compared to what the southern end of the city did. So we went over to the office to go, go through the hurricane and uh, we were in our recording studio which was great because it was soundproof and uh, we really sustained practically no damage at the office and we were great. Our bass player lost his house, several people in our organization, but we were fine. Everyone was given warning but for example the biggest damage was in areas that were not evacuation zones because the only reason they evacuate is because it's water, uh, you know, flood or storm surge danger. Nobody expected, it's been 30 years since we've had a hurricane, nobody expected that the inland areas would have that kind of problem. Mm. But that was where the worst damage was. Now you actually went out on your birthday, I gather, and started helping out, which is... Uh... It was my birthday. I had the best birthday I ever had. It was very rewarding and uh, I felt as a person I needed to do something because, you know, the first thing we did, obviously, write a check and make a donation, but that leaves you feeling very empty, and the city was really paralyzed. I mean, our office was paralyzed. We knew we weren't going to be doing any kind of work there. So I just wanted to get my hands, you know, involved, and we made a relief effort. Uh, we made, turned our office into a donation center, and then we would sort and pack these things and take them on our own with, with uh, trucks to the neighborhoods because the distribution areas were fine, but a lot of people couldn't get out of their homes, and we went right to them, and I thought they might, you know, enjoy seeing me and realizing that people, you know, care about them and that we weren't going to forget that area. So what was the worst thing you saw? Oh, so many things. Well, I think personally one of the things that touched my heart the most was a, a family that uh, they had this 97-year-old woman 
in in the room. This was already a week after because we made several trips, and uh, I went into her home because her daughter was desperate because she couldn't. The only thing the woman would drink was these little uh, nutritional shakes because she can't eat. She had no teeth. You know, she's in her 90s. She can't digest. And we happened to have a box of this stuff. Um, so we had some more left over, and we decided to go back to her house and take her the rest rest of it. Cause she was crying, saying, I don't know what I'm going to do about my, you know. Because all the area shops were totaled. I mean, they were destroyed. And we went into this room. This old lady had been there a week. It must have been 100 degrees in there because there was no power, obviously. The rain had come in and filled the house like two feet of water. So everything, the smell was horrendous from, you know, the, the humidity. And there was nothing left of the house except this one room where the old lady lived. And they were telling us about how the night of the hurricane, they all stayed in that room and were praying because they didn't know what they were going to do. The old lady can't walk. She can't, you know, she can't do anything that was so little vignettes like that. And obviously, we went to the trailer parks that were totally destroyed. They were flattened and there were people living here. There was over uh, 1,500 people living in the stench from the garbage and the rotting, you know, food and these people were sleeping like in under uh, like a, a piece of uh, tin with children running around. The children had no shoes because everything was blown away. It was it was just something you can't imagine ever seeing. You know, it was really horrendous. Did you get upset? You know what really made me cry when I took a helicopter ride because I mean I'm very strong. It's very tough for me to cry. I've been through so many things and usually I've had to meet a lot of sick children backstage and and things that what I want to be for them is cheer them up so the last thing I want to do is break down but when I took a helicopter ride with the army and I saw the devastation to nature you know and because somehow to me you know human beings we can rationalize things we can say yeah we'll get better we'll be fine but when I, you know we we saved two dogs in one of the neighborhoods and we took them and found people to adopt them and I saw packs of animals, you know, roaming around that people had left and, and got out. And I saw nature destroyed trees that took 60, 70 years to, to make. Those kind of things really, really bothered me because that was something that you know is not going to be overnight. Those things are going to take years and years and years. And that hurt me a lot, you know. Now, this is just the latest example of your work for your community. You, you really do look after your people, don't you? Why do you feel that urge to do that? Because I can. I mean, I... All my life, all, all I've really ever wanted to do in my life was to be able to help other people. And uh, if I can do it now, you know, I'm put in a position where I can, I certainly will. And also, they were there for me. You know, these people in that community, when I had my accident, they went out to their churches, to their synagogues. They prayed for me. They don't even know me, you know, personally. They know me, you know, as a... But that takes a lot, you know, the, the churches were packed on the day of my accident, people praying for me and, and sending me cards, and it, they were just very good to me. So if I can have any opportunity to give some of that back, especially in a, in a think, time like that when I went through personally what the city is going through, you know, so just to talk to them and, and try to have them have some patience and realize that it'll take time, but things get better, and I guess when they know you've been through it, they kind of, you know, take your advice a little bit, so if I could do that. Is your involvement in the United Nations promoting your community as well, or is that simply a, a personal thing? To me, that's really a, a unique opportunity to be a part of the United Nations at a moment when it's it's really taking on its original, what it was orig originally intended to do. 
and it's a wonderful experience, I think, as a person to be involved in world politics and see how things work. And, and it's given me a lot of optimism, really, for our future, because even though things are very slow moving, at least you see the trend and the general uh, intention as a world to move ahead and to have more peacemaking and peacekeeping and human rights are taking the forefront, which is my unique uh, the thing that I really want to get involved in. It's going to be the first year that there's a report on Cuba and human rights and uh, obviously the Yugoslavia and Somalia issues. So if I can have any kind of impact, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for me. Do you think it's a good idea for a singing artist to get involved in politics in any way? Well, I don't see that as politics. I see because it's really nonpartisan and it has nothing to do with whatever unique politics belong to the people of that organization. It's just a great way to to participate in in world government and in in just to learn. I've learned so much in these last three weeks, more than I ever learned in school about government or politics. And it's only until December. It's a unique opportunity. It's presidential appointment, so it's a big honor. And uh, I really feel that I can, because of my high profile, put a friendly face on the United States for some of these other people, which what it boils down to really is public relations. And I'm not going to be looking at a political career, if that's what you're asking. I was no. going to say, do you have any political no, aspirations? No, 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 I don't, not at all. If I can help any way in a social, human level, that I'm very interested in in human rights, in uh, the advancement of women, the advancement of, of children, and uh, better education for them. That's why I'm really, why I've gotten involved with this, because that's what I'll be working with directly, but nothing having to do with, I think politics, are, they'd be very frustrating for me, you know. I, I can get much more done and have much more control and impact from the private sector than I could from any political forum, where there's agendas and things that I hate. The media particularly seem to pigeonhole artists quite a bit and don't allow them to try and stray out of their own areas. When um, artists have got involved in politics or acting or anything like that, they don't often like that very much. Do you find yourself being restricted by public opinion? Not at all. I haven't found that. I mean, obviously everyone's going to have an opinion about what you do. And uh, you, when you do new things, you obviously set yourself up for it. But I don't, I can't live my life, you know, thinking about what somebody's going to say or do about what I choose to do. So this is something that I really wanted to do. When they offered it to me, I asked if it was going to be just an honorable thing or an honor. I didn't want to do it. That if it was an opportunity to actually do something, then, then I would. So, And they said it was, and it's turning out to be. So it's just a very interesting thing as a person to be able to do. Not even, you know, it has nothing to do with singing. The three other public members are Happy Rockefeller. There is a president of a university and a capital investment banker. So we really have very diverse, you know, mm. people involved, besides the five ambassadors, which are, you know, foreign service and career diplomats. Now, I read that you were very friendly with George Bush. Is that true? On a human level, yes. He, uh, when, when I had the accident, he had actually met me the day before. I don't... Uh, usually get involved in politics, but we had performed in Washington, and this was in 1990, it wasn't a, an election year or anything, and he was aware, because his son also lives in Miami, and his grandchildren are big fans, and you know, his son and his sis and his uh, daughter-in-law, and he actually invited my, my husband and my son to, to the White House to meet him, and it was a big honor, and we did, and then the day after I had the accident, so he was in such shock that he actually spent the year, he would write me notes, seeing how we were, because it was just a, a human thing, so it has nothing to do with politics, really. And he's always been very warm and sensitive with our family before it had anything to do with, you know, politics.
but I purposely stay away during an election year from either side, or I was invited to do the anthem in both conventions, and I try to stay away from you anything political, yeah, from anything political during election years. And he knows, you know, that uh, I've been very honest when I've got inv gotten invitations, you know, I say I'd rather keep my personal politics out, which at this moment would be, you know, they'd zero in on that. So. Mm. But it's on a human level. He's so what sort of a guy is he? He's quite a nice chap? He's a very nice man. He's very human and warm, which is surprising to me that sometimes on television and in his public image, it doesn't come through like he really is. He's a very caring father and grandparent. And, you know, the other day I went into the White House because I was doing a briefing in Washington before the UN. And uh, I get a call. And he says, oh, President Bush wants to say, if, say hi, you know. So I go, sure. I was across the street. I went over and I met his dog and I walked in and you know his dog is sitting on one of the chairs and it's so much like my dogs because my dogs are like family in my house you know and he's the same he's got the dog all you know all over with him and sitting in all the chairs and you know, he's a warm human being he's very nice very nice man because when you look back to your with all respect fairly humble origins and when you think now that you're great friends with the president of the United States that must be quite something to swallow well you know it's funny but I've never I've always looked at people as people I've never been the kind of person that, that is awestruck by, by people. And yes, you know, if you step back and you look at the big picture, it's, it's an honor and it's, it's wonderful. But I still see people as people. We're all born, we all die, we're all born naked. You know, we all go to the same place. No matter who you are on the earth, we're all the same at the beginning and at the end. And I still see everyone like that. Is there anybody or anything that would make you awestruck? I don't think so. I mean... I re what I really admire is people that that uh, give of themselves, you know, for other people, and that uh, put themselves second. You know, those things. Uh, brave children that I that I've met personally that that have gone through terrible diseases with a very brave uh, attitude. Uh, incredible heroes of everyday life that I get to meet. You know, uh, that are just normal people that give up things from themselves to, to do things for other people, that kind of thing I really admire. But there's, it's nothing that, you know, oh, I want to meet this person. I've never been like that. You're very motivated, though, aren't you? You do a heck of a lot of work all the time. You never seem to stop. Why are you so motivated? What makes you so determined? Well, I think now because I can. <laughs> it was very close to being the end. And Although I think if I would have ended up in a wheelchair, I probably would have eventually been one of those people that does sports, you know, in the wheelchair or something. I, I just think that until the day you die, you have to move forward. That's basically it. And I'm very fortunate to be able to have fulfilled uh, way beyond any dream that I could have had. So you say now because you're able to, but you don't have to do any of this extra work, do you? Well, nobody ever has to do anything. Nobody has to. They but do, to, to make a living. But you're now living very comfortably, presumably. Yes, no, but what I do, I do because I love it. I mean, I've the reason, I, I'm glad and happy for the success, obviously, and money's great, that it comes, you know, with success. But I didn't do music for that reason. I never started out doing music to be a performer. I started singing since I was three years old. I joined the band for a hobby and for fun. I was studying psychology. I was going to be a psychologist. never crossed my mind to be a singer. I used to sing for my friends, but that was the extent of it. I never really thought being the person that I was and how shy and how difficult it was for me to get on stage, I never thought that I would end up doing this. I mean, if they were to show me a video 10 years ago of me now, I would have said, forget it. That's impossible. You know, So it was never my intention either to get famous or rich. It was 
a byproduct of something that I love. And even if I no longer made any money from it, I'd still make music and write, because and, it's very fulfilling for me. You, you've now got a hotel and a restaurant, I gather. I mean, are these things because you're a bit, you'd be bored otherwise sitting at home doing nothing? or? Well, those things are fun, but they're also for the future. You know, uh, this career, as you well know, is very volatile and ever-changing. And I don't want to have to go to my old age and have to, you know, fire employees because we have a very big organization or, or have to give up my home because I can't afford it anymore because you stop making money. So, and Emilio's a businessman and we enjoy doing other things and uh, it's fun and we enjoy investing in our city and, and uh, being a part of its growth. And I love South Beach, which is where we've done these things. So whatever we can do to make the area, you know, flourish, we will. Seems to be a growing Estefan empire in Miami and beyond now. It's growing, but you know what? We really, I mean, with the two things that we've done there now, we've got some uh, empty lots that will probably develop into a luxury apartments. We want to do something that'll be very special and unique, and that'll stay there, but it, it won't go much beyond that. Other, you know, we, we really, we want to be able to handle what we have. We're not, we're not the kind of people that want to grow into this huge empire. You know, we, we like what we have, and now we'll probably just enjoy it now from now on and, you know, enjoy our lives. So it's just going to be one hotel and one restaurant, not a chain all over the world? No, no, it won't be a chain. No, no. That's too much work. You know, it's hard enough having that. We just, we really enjoy doing that. The restaurant was a big thrill and fun to do, you know, because it's different from what you do, so it's enjoyable and we like it. A lot of celebrities seem to be opening restaurants these days. And are you sort of in cahoots with them? Do you, do you speak to them much or...? No, not really. The reason we wanted to bring a Cuban restaurant to the beach is because there wasn't any. And we were going to this restaurant, the people that, that are our partners in this, we went to the restaurant for three years because the, the owner is the chef and he's the closest thing to my grandmother's cooking that I have ever found. So food-wise, we loved it. And we just wanted to bring that to the very tourist area and give them inexpensive excellent Cuban food and also have them closer to my house so I don't have to drive all the way to South Miami. But it was just, it was fun to do that for that reason because we really admire and, and believe in, in this person and what they did and very quality food, you know, home cooking. How much of a luxurious life do you live otherwise? Well, it depends on what you consider luxurious. It's not the lifestyles of the rich and famous type thing. We have very simple taste. Our home is an expensive home because of where it is and because we spend a lot of money on the landscaping and the things that we have are good things but if you were to walk into our home it's a home I mean it's nothing like you know a big huge estate we have three bedrooms upstairs uh, my husband's and mine my son's and a future baby's room and one guest room downstairs uh, we have a family room that we spend a lot of time in the kitchen is, is big but I mean it's it's luxurious, but in, in a different way, I think, than what people consider. I mean, there's not a lot of uh, fancy things, and we like artwork, so there's certain works of art that we've spent money on, but it's things we enjoy. It's not, you know, ostentatious or that kind of thing. But, you know, it's an expensive lifestyle. What about your clothing and so on? Do you like dressing up smart, or do you tend to be quite casual most this of the time? This is my favorite way of dressing, what you're seeing right here, jeans and, you know, laid back. Obviously I have a lot of clothes because first of all Emilio loves to shop. I hate to shop. And he knows you hate I, ha I think I must be missing some female gene or <laughs> some hormone is uh, so there's some mistake in there. But Emilio loves shopping and he knows my body and he knows what looks good on me. And I have to have clothes for, 
interview situations and things like that. But at home, I'll be in shorts and a t-shirt or, you know, jeans. It's my favorite way of dressing is very low-key. You know, I'll dress up once in a while, but I really like simple things. My taste is very simple. Are you very aware of how you have to look all the time because you're photographed so much and filmed so much? Yes, and that's the least enjoyable thing of all in my career. I think that the thing that, I, that really I dislike the most is having to take pictures and having to have things. You know, I don't like that. It's, I don't enjoy it. It's fine when it's done, and I know it's part of the job, and I have to do it because I have to give the record company and the PR company certain amount of pictures and look different because that's part of the job, but it's not what I enjoy. Are you thinking of a drastic change in your appearance sometime? <laughs> I'm not a drastic person. I'm really not a drastic person. I've made changes through the years, but even those changes have been just because me as a person has changed, not because I've sat there and said, oh, what could I do now, you know, to look different. Once in a while, I'll straighten my hair, you know, and surprise people. Like, that's as, as much as I'm probably ever going to change. Now, because you work so hard, presumably you have to keep yourself very fit and in shape and so on. Do, how much working out do you do, or you have to be very careful because of your back? I work out a lot. In fact, I have to work out because of my back. The best way to counteract its effects and of the operation is to stay very strong. So I do a lot of exercise, but I enjoy it too. I've always been very athletic ever since I was young, and I've enjoyed sports. So it's something that I enjoy doing. Are you always going to have these steel rods in your back? Yes. I'll always have them. Can you feel them? If I sit in a hardback chair, I'll feel them, feel the screws. Not the rods, but the screws at the top, because they're in a place where, like, that's wherever you, you know, they're right, at the, right in the middle of my back. And sometimes, you know, I'll wake up a little stiff, or if I don't get a lot of massage, then your muscles grow onto them a little bit, so you have to really keep them very limber. What about the psychological aspects of the accident? How have they changed your whole view of life and what you have? Well, I think my priorities were, were pretty straight before because I went through a lot with my father. He was uh, in a wheelchair for many years before he died and I was very much aware of what that life can be to your family. So I really dove into my therapy and tried to get the jump on my body so my muscles wouldn't atrophy. And But I think the biggest change probably has come in just being a much more open person and expressing my feelings to people around me, my family, my fans, through my music, in the way I sing. Because I really got a very clear picture of how quickly it can all end and change. You know, it would, I could have very easily died. I could have very easily been left a vegetable and not been able to express myself as I do. So in that way, I take every opportunity. I, I just don't like to waste time. I really don't like to waste any time. And that's been a far-reaching effect. Do you use therapy on yourself because you've got a psychology degree, or does somebody else therapy you? <laughs> oh, no, I've used it on myself, but I used it even before the accident. I think psychology was very helpful, and actually I actually have a theory that most students that study psychology are going for self-help. Looking at some of my professors, I'd say that they were the strangest people I ever met. You know, a lot of them had nervous tics, and I think they were really searching for self-help. Some of us found it. I find it very helpful in my life in general, as a mother, as a wife, as a human being, as a performer, as many things, it's really helped me. Did you have to go for a lot of outside help though when you had the accident and recovering from it? Not at all, no. Uh, I went obviously through a depression at one point. It was very short-lived. I knew that it was a natural process and I knew I had to get it out of my system. But you just, I talked myself back into life, you know, that's what you have to do just every day. So. Uh, I really didn't need to, to go for any outside help. 
Does the magnanimity of your success ever frighten you, ever worry you? I'm probably the person that's least aware of my success, believe it or not. The only time that I'm really forced to see my success or, or it's thrown in my face is when I'm on tour and I have incredible amount of fans out there doing the show, but I don't read any of my press. I don't watch myself on television. In fact, I hate that. So I'll go the other way to avoid that. Emilio will be watching something. I just don't enjoy it. Why? Why don't you enjoy it? It makes me nervous. It makes me uneasy. I don't like to see myself other than from within, you know. I like to keep my image of the show or whatever performance I did, I like to keep the feeling that I had from it and not look at myself from outside because I just don't enjoy it, you know. I, I Do you think there's a psychological reason behind that? I'm very critical, you know, and I might see something that I wish I wouldn't have done and I can't do anything about it, so it would bother me intensely. Or, you know, it just doesn't interest me. It's nothing that I... I did the interview, I know what happened, so I don't want to read about it. All I can read about is either they misquoted me or, you know, perhaps they saw me in a different way that I intended it, and those things hurt me. So I'm very sensitive in that way, and I really, it doesn't interest me. I, I'd really rather not know. What about achieving so much so young? I mean, you're only 35, 35. now, and you've achieved a heck of a lot, more than most people would achieve in about six lifetimes. So does that worry that perhaps you've achieved so much so young, and what else is there to gain? Oh, I, I have plenty to do. I, I think my life is, I mean, my life is going by so quickly that I know my life is going to seem like a flash to me, and there's so many things to do. I mean, there's millions of things to do. Just. Just be able to sit and not do anything would be nice. Mm. So I look forward to many different stages in my life. Each one has brought something new. And I know I'll never get bored. I don't get bored sitting alone in a room. I'm always thinking. I There's millions of things that I would like to do, you know, that, uh, that have nothing to do with what people consider achievements. So I, I know I won't have a problem with that. I just want to live life. So what are the priorities on your agenda at the moment? My son, my... Uh, having another baby in a personal way being able to enjoy because I've been on a constant like climb whether it was as a performer or then trying to get back from you know the accident which set me back like to the beginning I had to start everything over physically so now I'm at a point where I'd really like to enjoy some of these things and working on albums like that Spanish album that have nothing to do with career or radio or hits it's just something that we want to do artistically and that we can have the luxury of doing. And things like, you know, the new projects in Miami with uh, just personal stuff, you know. Yeah. Do, do you think singing will always be the focus of your life? Is that what you're hoping? Singing has always been, most definitely. Music, I'm sure it'll take on other ways of expressing itself, such as writing for other people, producing somebody, uh, doing things like this album, doing different projects. But hopefully, you know, it'll still be around in my life in some way. How satisfied are you with your career so far? <laughs> More than satisfied. I never thought, you know, I never dreamed that this would be. It happened slowly, and I never, ever dreamed of my wildest expectations that this would be like this. So I enjoy every bit of it. I really do. Do you think you've been given the credit you deserve so far? I don't know, because I don't know what credit they've given me. So, so you never read it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that... For my fans, I think they appreciate me very much and they show me a lot of love and never did I see it more than when I had that accident that there was an outpouring as, as, a, as people, you know, it was almost as family and I couldn't want anything more than that, you know. I know I have loyal fans that uh, as long as I keep making music and 
whether or not I have a hit, I know they'll be there because I've seen it, you know, and that's all I, I could ever want, you know. You, the charts are something that are very uh, ever-changing, you know, and you can never expect to be at the height of popularity for your entire life. All I ever would want is that there would be somebody out there to listen to what I do, and that I have, I know, so I'm very happy with that. What's the greatest tribute you think you've been paid? Oh, my gosh. I think, like I mentioned, the reaction that I had when when I had that accident and the incredible outpouring of love from everyone that really I came as close to being at my own funeral I think as you can get because uh, at that point it was everything was over and the feeling that I got from people and the strength that they gave me and the love that they poured out to me I think that's been the greatest tribute that I could ever have. How have you changed your perhaps transport since the accident have you do you now never travel by bus you oh no no i was on the tour bus this year i just can't sleep on it anymore mm. as a matter of fact i can't sleep on any moving vehicle i used to fall asleep on airplanes immediately i can't sleep on i think subconsciously i'm probably afraid to surrender myself again because i was asleep when it happened and i had just woken up so that's normal you know do you have nightmares have you had nightmares no not anymore i did for a few months after uh, but they were nothing that I could recall. It was just I would wake up screaming, I mean literally screaming or you know, jumping, which would hurt a lot, but that went away. How much support has the Milio been, particularly during that phase and over the years? Total support. I, I think if I wouldn't have had him, it would have been very difficult. He didn't leave the house for three months because I had to be bathed and I had to be moved every 15 minutes, and it was like being a child, a baby again. And he knew that I was very shy, so he didn't leave me to be with other people. He really dedicated himself totally to me, and that's what he does. I mean, he he really cares for me in a way that I don't think anyone could ever do, so he spoils me, like I said. Mm. Yeah, it seems to be a very Latin American thing, the, the sort of looking after each other, the, the family aspect seems to be very, very strong. It's very strong, but it's very strange because usually it's the woman that has to care for the man in the relationship. Men. The stereotypical Latin man, everything has to be done for him, you know, and he'll bring home the, the bread and butter, but, you know, but he's usually the one that's cared for, and Emilio's not that way at all. He's very open-minded and uh, actually a uh, very motivating person. My success in no way uh, bothers him. On the contrary, he's very, very supportive. What, what are your hopes and for the future personally? What are your big desires. My big desire is to be healthy and have my family be healthy and not go through any more traumatic events. That would be enough for me right there. The rest I can take care of. But just to be spared, you know, these life-changing moments would be nice. I think that's that's about all and just to enjoy my family and live, you know, enjoy the success we've worked hard to to get.